Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold. I'm joined with my uh, esteemed co-host, Dylan Keniston. Good morning, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing well, Eric. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. And uh, we are also joined by a special guest, Pavel Bugriev, director of uh, youth ministries at Hilltown Baptist Church. Good morning, Pavel. Good morning. Yeah, good to have you on the show. Uh, for those of you who are listening, this is uh, episode one of our second season, and we had tried to uh, get Pavel on the show during our first season, but uh, scheduling conflicts prevented that from happening. But now we're going to open up our, our second season with this uh, 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 three-person discussion here. And uh, it was funny, uh, our, the, with the show name Two Guys in the Bible, Pavel, had, had, you had suggested that uh, uh, you couldn't see any um, physical Bibles open on the table here. Mm-hmm. So you said, uh, you said, what was it called? Three, three Guys and No Bible. Three Guys and No Bible. <laughs> 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 but uh, but uh, we do but, have donuts. Yeah, we, we have donuts <laughs> and coffee. But never fear, we do have Bibles, but they're electronic. That's true. So they are all. So we are uh, on the day's episode. Three guys, electronic Bibles, some coffee, and some donuts. So that's a that's kind of a mouthful of a of a title. So we'll have to shorten that for the uh, for the release. But uh, anyways, we have a. A very important uh, uh, topic to discuss today. Again, we were hoping to to address it last uh, season, but we're gonna just uh, come out uh, come out uh, aiming aiming uh, for the fences here uh, on a difficult uh, topic to tackle. And that topic for today is the issue uh, and the concern of race, uh, racism, uh, both in and outside of the church, um, within our culture and things. Uh, like that. Um, so what I plan on doing here is to lay the f- the groundwork, uh, introduce the topic, and then we will open it up for discussion from there. So I'm trying not to talk, uh, not talk too long about this. So first, I just want to uh, point out that um, we're the reason why we're bringing up this this topic is uh, I, I'm sure as many of you who are listening know. Uh, there's there's much concern in the in the culture and in the uh, the media regarding the topics of of ethnicity and race uh, discrimination things like that whether we're talking about uh, disparities um, uh, with uh, with uh, with income or disparities uh, in, uh, in in prisons or crime or fatherlessness or or any number of of uh, of disparities and these things are also not um, alien to the church. There are uh, some things that uh, that the church is dealing with. Uh, one example that um, has come up recently uh, would be uh, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention had recently had a meeting where they passed a uh, a resolution. Uh, it's named uh, Resolution 9, and uh, for those of you who are curious about that, I encourage you to look it up online. You can find it at uh, www.sbc.net at the resolutions there. Uh, this resolution, I believe, happened back in June or so at their Southern Baptist Convention uh, meeting. But the resolution basically uh, uh, spoke about things such as uh, critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, things like that, and I'll just quote one short section from that uh, resolution, and here's uh, here's what it says. It says, 
uh, whereas critical race theory and, and intersectionality alone are insufficient to diagnose and redress the root causes of the social ills that they identify, which result from sin, yet these analytical tools can aid in evaluating a variety of human experiences. And later on, they will state resolved that critical race theory and intersectionality should only be employed as analytical tools subordinate to scripture, not as transcendent ideological frameworks. So there's a lot, of, a lot to unpack there, and we'll do our best to do so uh, for you listeners on uh, today's episode. Uh, so why So we're, why are we talking about this topic? Uh, it's relevance in our culture, relevance in the church, but also our goal the three of us today, really, uh, you know, we're not going to solve these problems. We're not going to solve the world's problems. But uh, what we want to do is encourage and spur on uh, understanding, appreciation for um, other opinions, other sides' opinions, differing viewpoints, but also to bring all things in subjection to Christ and His Word. And our goal today is to kind of model how that discussion can be done, how we can navigate a, a sensitive, uh, difficult topic and to always bring it uh, under the authority of God's word and what that looks like. So uh, we hope that we are able to do that today. That is our, that is our prayer and that is our, that is our goal. So uh, with that, I do want to open up with kind of a, a question that I, I imagine some of our listeners might have. Why? Uh, I'll throw it out to you, Pavel and Dylan. Uh, how can three guys, particularly three white guys, talk about race? I mean, how are we able to do that? Dylan? <laughs> we punt to Dylan. Well, this is, this is my question for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so so first of all, there there is a... So this this was a question that that you know off the air I I had raised for for all for all of us to consider um, you know what does it mean and and how can a couple of guys white guys get together and talk about race is that even something like to even get a hearing or a spot at the table mm-hmm. is that even something that's legitimate um, so the the short answer is, um, I mean, we're talking about it. So I think <laughs> it, the answer is implicit in in we're already very, doing it. We're already doing it. Um, but but more than that, you know, I, I think the, the the question assumes certain ideological f- premises that are at issue like they're they kind of kind of assuming the very question that that we're here to discuss right so for example you know if you think about um critical theory being rooted in power differentials and as an, as an ideology you have this notion that you have different groups and there's oppressed groups and oppressor groups and 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 in this context right the 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 appropriate role of the oppressor group if you belong to that group is to d- divest oneself of that power and of that authority and one of the ways you do that is by being silent and by platforming those who are oppressed right so when when the question is asked you know is it even appropriate for three white guys to come and have a conversation about race what's implicit in that is the a, a number of assumptions right one white men constitute uh, the oppressor group, right, or constitute that group which is in power um, and therefore needs to be deplatformed, 
right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 number two, um, it also assumes that certain biblical norms and biblical truths are no longer in the public realm for discussion. They're no longer publicly accessible because part and parcel of, of theory is that um, uh, truth is gleaned through lived experience, mm-hmm. right? So that you have a particular experience of, um, you know, maybe, maybe let's say there's somebody out there in the yeah. audience who has some lived experience of oppression um, and, and, you know, and tells the tale, um, you know, I, I think, for example, of uh, Eric Mason's Woke Church, and he tells the story about how, and I've heard this story, by the way, from, you know, a number of, of black men giving similar testimony, saying, look, you know, I was mistaken for a criminal. I, here's, here's, a, here's a God-fearing Christian man mistaken for a criminal by a police officer and literally just humiliated in front of his children, in front of his family. He has this experience. And, and that experience then mm-hmm. shapes how he parents. It shapes how he, how he thinks of, of, of law enforcement. It shapes how he thinks of the, the struggle of, of the black man in, in the black community. In, in a, you know, and, and these are not Eric Mason's words, but it, like in a white man's world, sure. right? Sure. Um, so, so lived experience then becomes some of that. Now, now as a white man, if you're part of that power structure, then, then you don't have that lived experience of, of oppression to speak to, right? So part of, the, part of the challenge here is that the very question assumes certain premises that are themselves at issue, yes. right? And, and, and one of the dangers, I think, in that is removing these topics from um, public uh, access, public accessibility, that, that truth is, is, is gleaned through shared experience as opposed to something like a biblical text. Which yeah. is which is in the public arena and can be reviewed yeah. and and discussed and analyzed. Well, I, I, I kind of going along with that. I think it's in one way it's it's very simple to 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 address that concern because of if if it's true that there is no uh, spoken word from God, and if it is true that all truth is relative, then your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and there's really no way that I can. I can speak to you about anything, really, because you ha- your experiences are different than mine. And like you said, that statement it assumes certain premises that are at that need to be addressed. Um, one of those premises is that truth is is purely relative, and that there's no objective truth that God has spoken. So, um, if it is the case that all truth is relative, then then yeah, um, everyone's opinion is legitimate, equally legitimate, and no one can really speak to another person because everyone's experiences are different. And then the other thing, of course, is that it assumes that only experience is the source of any knowledge, which is not true because we have knowledge of history, which no one today has experienced. History can still be known. Now, uh, so I say all these things basically to point out that our goal is not to use our experience as a bunch of white guys to explain the experience of somebody else. White splain. Exactly. Our job <laughs> is to just go to God's word because we have to ask the question, what has God said about these things? That does matter because he speaks to all of us. It does. And, yeah. and so one of the things I think we, we don't want to do is, is pendulum swing, right? Because mm-hmm. it is, there is still some, there is still some yeah. aspect in which um, the, so 
I'm I'm no postmodernist. Far from it. I <laughs> I'm as far as you can get from that. On the other hand, um, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? I think part of what Resolution Nine is trying to get at is that, like if you ask now, and I have I have some other objections to to Resolution Nine that you know maybe we can that we'll come to that. But but if you just ask the, the question on on the face of the thing, like is there is there some truth to what is being said? Like yeah. intersectionality is an isn't it can be used as an analytical tool. Well, true, and we we do that even in in Christian context, and we can talk about some examples of that. Um, now, likewise, when it comes to uh, let's say whiteness, like is it true that my being white has in some ways shaped my experiences and that my you know that. To, to whatever extent my identity is bound up with my with my race, um, and we can talk about the use of that term too, because that even that category is problematic, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it, to the extent that my experience is bound up with my race, does that inform some of the presuppositions that I come to a text with, um, and does that inform maybe some of the interpretations that I may initially glean? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. Um, now, does that mean that my inter and this is where you know postmodernism falls drastically short? It's like, does that mean that my interpretation is is therefore uh, right on the grounds of the fact that it's born out of it's born out in part of of that identity? No, like I can get some pushback. You know, a good example of this was I heard a story of a pastor one time where they had a a conference and they had. Uh, you know, individuals from all different parts of the globe just coming in and analyzing certain biblical texts. And and certain people from certain uh, countries tended to uh, interpret some passages in Paul in communitarian terms. Mm -hmm. And other people from other countries tended to interpret those same passages in, in more individualistic terms. Now, now a postmodern would, would look at that and have a field day. <laughs> right. And say, you see, here's these people who are coming at this from the from their different experiences. Now, yes, they are. And is that in, in informing somehow uh, their interpretations of Scripture? Yes, it is in, in some measure. On the other hand, some of them are right or some of them are wrong. So that's where postmodernism falls flat. Right. right. Is while it's true that you can have a, a whole host of interpretations and while there's some truth to the fact that some of those interpretations are born out of lived experience of, of an individual coming to the text because we don't come neutrally. That's Van Til, Right. There's there's no neutral. Neutrality, right? Um, we don't come neutrally to a text. Nevertheless, <laughs> um, some of those are right and some of those are wrong That's because right. because God's truth is is God's truth, and and there actually are answers to to some of these questions. And yeah. now it takes hermeneutics to get there, and it takes some training to get there. It might take some work with some of the original languages. You know, you read the word "you," and is that a plural "you" or is that a singular "you"? Right? It takes some some work to to ferret that out yeah but there is an answer there yeah yeah so so that's where i think oh I, fair enough does that, fair enough. that make sense absolutely absolutely and uh Bob, i want to bring you in uh real 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 quick but before i do that i do want to just briefly uh try to define a few terms you had mentioned yeah. a few of the terms earlier critical race theory and i know that we'll have listeners that that don't know what that means i mean even i several months ago would probably not have understood what that meant but uh, real quick, um, and, and I'm teachable on this as well, I am no expert by any means, but in my quick studies, uh, it seems like, you know, in terms like critical theory, basically, uh, it's, it's a way of looking at the, it's a way of looking at the world. Um, uh, so in general, you have critical theory, where you look at the world through power differentials, essentially, uh, there's, the, there's always an, an oppressed group and an oppressor group, and the main issue at hand is who has the power. And, and where did it come from? Uh, and that's pretty much how it views the world. Now, 
um, related to critical theory is the is the older or maybe the, roughly the same age uh, concept of Marxism. So, uh, for those of you not familiar, Karl Marx, 1800s, he uh, viewed the world through the lens of oppressor oppressed, but specifically the context of economics and class. So. The, the 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 those who had the means of production who owned the means of production the, the bourgeois uh, were the oppressor of the worker the proletariat so that's kind of how he he viewed the world and I think that's just a subset of critical theory because now you have uh, different ways of looking at oppression uh, through a variety of theories so so some forms of let's say feminism would look at the world through uh, male oppression of women, so that would be more of a, a patriarchy kind of uh, wielding power over women, and that's the lens through which you view all of history, culture, things like that. And then uh, uh, the term critical race theory, as you can probably uh, imagine from that, narrows in on the concept of race and ethnicity, so it sees the world through the power differentials and the lens of race and ethnicity everything needs to be viewed through that lens and that could be economics that could be politics history philosophy all sorts of things there so that's just a brief understanding of that um and then uh, intersectionality was mentioned in resolution nine and that's uh very simply put is the concept that um we all uh, we all carry multiple identities of various groups so for example uh, I guess I would fall under the I'm a white male straight person. So I, you know, we could just say right there, there's three, there's three categories for me: white, male, and straight. So, but where where an oppressed category meets another oppressed category, you have different layers of essentially discrimination or or oppression. So a so, so for example, um, an African American man. You know he's 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 a male, so he's got that going for him. But he's African American, so that would be viewed as a, uh, as a form of like he would have that as a negative aspect with regards to discrimination against him. But, but an African American woman who's let's say transgendered, that would be three. Uh, she'd be part of three groups that are all oppressed groups. So her level of, of, of oppression and discrimination is greater. Just layers of social layers, disadvantage. Basically. So it's just a way of of trying to identify people as a makeup of the variety of groups that they're part of mm -hmm. is really what that that comes down to so anyways um that are some of the terms there and as we hit more terms we'll try to do some more definitions we'll make sure to, to do that but with that said um pavel uh, you being a uh, a man of russian descent um uh and so you had your experiences. Uh, we'll, we'll throw out the the experience term there mm -hmm. are a little different than uh, both Dylan's and and myself. So um, my question to you then is, uh, looking at it from a non well from coming out of a, a Amer non American culture in some ways, you know, how would you see some of this uh, the situation of trying to divide everything just by purely whiteness and, and blackness or something like that? Like, is that something that the rest of the world does? Do you see that kind of thing outside of the United States, and uh, and how you know what are some thoughts that you have on that on that topic there? So yeah, I think that before I answer that question, I do want to encourage our listeners to, even though we're we're going back 
in some ways leaning on experience and saying, hey, I have a seat at the table because I have an experience with some sort of oppression, uh, some sort of disadvantages. And I'll get into that in just a second. But um, as listeners, I don't know, let's say you're a middle class white woman who say, I, I've never, I'm just curious on this topic because my kids are talking about it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you should be. You should be engaged in the conversations that your kids are. Um, don't exclude yourself because then they will just stop coming to you. But um, so you're a pilot. Yeah. Eric, you're a pilot. I'm not a pilot. I'm far from it. But if I see a plane stuck in a tree, I'm going to say there's something wrong there. <laughs> that should not be the case. Yeah. So I don't need to be a pilot to say that's not right. Hmm. Um, and even, you know, working with teenagers in the youth ministry, kids have a lot to say about parenting. Now, they're not parents. Yeah. But they know when there's a bad parent and when there's a good parent. And they'll ask a simple question. If your parent gives you everything you want, everything you ask for, is that a good parent? They all say unanimously, no. Hmm. Now, do they want everything they, want, they ask for? Absolutely they do. But they know that's not right. Mm-hmm. A parent has to do some parental work, uh, which means to guide and to teach and, and, to, and to protect even against their own desires. Mm-hmm. Um, so my point is you don't have to be black to talk about, hey, there's some problems in the black community. I don't need to be a rich, upper-class white guy to say, hey, there's some problems in the rich, upper-class community. Um, mm. Just to be able to observe things, you don't need to be a specialist to say, there's something not right here. Yeah. Um, so I want I want to encourage the listeners to to not feel uh, like they need to buy into this this lie that I have to be black. Uh, I have to have ancestors who uh, were in slavery for 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 me to have any seat at the table. Hmm. Now let me let me lean back into the experiential element. Um, what we do have is the scripture that has the experience that can speak for us. Um, scripture says a lot about slavery, a lot about privilege and, the, and lack of. Um, and we talk about defining terms. We, we, you, we have this term in our, in our society about white privilege. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Dylan gave a phrase that was helpful, just social advantages. So when we say white privilege or privilege, we just, we're talking about social advantages um, that certain people have or don't have. Yeah. Um, so... Going now to the social advantages that uh, I lacked when we came to America. So I was eight years old when we moved from Russia to the United States. Um, I moved from Pitigorsk, Stavropolsky Krai, which is right between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea, okay. right where Russia borders Georgia. So it is often known as the armpit of Russia because <laughs> 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 it's... Uh, it's not a good place to be. Uh, it's the most densely Muslim populated place of Russia. Mm. Uh, now, though that the Muslims are sort of moving into Moscow for work, uh, but th- that place right there where Chechnya and Georgia are, that's kind of the closest you get to the Middle East for Russia. And we were smack dab in the middle of it. And we moved because of the Chechnyan war. Uh, we moved because of danger, uh, yeah. both religious oppression and military danger. My brother, uh, Alex, um, 
maybe if I say his name, he'll listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> he was walking home from school once, and he comes home and he says, uh, Mom, I got shot today. And she's like, don't you joke like that. And, uh, and of course, this is all in Russian, so I'm translating for okay, you. Okay, good. <laughs> That's on the house. <laughs> Thanks. And, uh, and my sister, Marina, she says, no, he really did. We were walking together, and there's a guy who hijacked the bus, a Muslim radical, and uh, he was just shooting out of the bus as the bus was driving. And uh, one of the bullets came through the pant leg of my brother. And my mom said, I think that's about... That's about the last draw um, because of all the other things that were happening. So we moved as religious refugees to Sacramento, California, uh, a very uh, Russian-populated place. So Sacramento is, is Sacramento and New York are two of the most pop Russian-populated places in America. Yeah. Um, so if you ever want to do a study on Russia, Russian-Americans or, or whatnot, you'd have to work with Sacramento and... Um, in New York huh. um, so with that came other difficulties I didn't have the language I didn't have the white privileges of knowing the language um, as some would, would like to imagine um, I, I am I was able to fit in a little bit better because my skin is lighter but then again my hair wasn't you know as cool as Dylan's and um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and at the same time, the way I was dressed was not, you know, up to par. And it took time. So what you see before you took years of sculpting. Uh, <laughs> well, lots of hard work. <laughs> lots there. of hard work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it was a difficult thing. I, I remember my first day in class, I was wearing this black uh, sweater with purple hearts on it. I thought it was a gangster sweater. Yeah, I thought, surely this is cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other kids didn't. They laughed and they pointed, and I thought, well, I don't know what they're laughing at. I have no idea. And that was one of those crumbling moments. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, I want to go home. I was so homesick. And I turned in, I internalized that, and I, I turned that, that fear, that pain, that embarrassment, that shame, um, that misfitness into anger. It all kind of went down into anger. And because I couldn't communicate verbally, I communicated physically. Oh. Um, and so the guy that was laughing, I couldn't say stop because I didn't know the word stop. Oh. Um, so I had zero English. So what I did was rolled up my fist and punched him in the face. Oh, wow. Um, did that stop him? That did stop. So <laughs> it, it works. Um, now, the reason I'm, I'm saying this is not to, to boast and sin, but to say there's a good reason why people act out. There's a good reason why some people turn to violence, um, especially when there's a moment of oppression, when there's a moment um, when one group is not being so nice to the other group, to use kid terms, right? Yeah. Um, there's, there's going to be some sort of a reaction. And that, that was kind of the pattern that I had. Um, because I didn't know how else to communicate. And sociologically, that tends to be the case with kids who are um, transitioning from one culture to the, to the next. Hmm. Because they don't know how to communicate, they're going to communicate physically. Um, this, this is, you know, psychologists talk about this with kids who have parents who speak different languages. The kids who, for example, my brothers, they 
decided to teach their kids only Russian. Huh. And because they want to hold on to the heritage, they want to hold on to the culture. I said, goodbye. You know, I said, I'm, I'm okay to give it up. Um, well, I mean, America doesn't really value Russians. I think as most as we value them as Russian spies in some TV shows, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the only portrayal of Russians you get. Name one good Russian image in in media that we get sean connery sean connery red october right <laughs> um, no to say but most people don't know that one no right? i know but yeah. then my, the majority give is give me a ping for shelly right ping only, please. and even that you know you know he's scottish uh, and he's scottish too yeah. so that kind of worked out yeah. <laughs> um so they they my brothers decided to teach their kids uh russian and so i remember when my nephew's started to go to school uh they they had a very similar experience to mine because they did they weren't taught english so when they go they were born in america but they learned russian and then they went off to, ch to, to school they either went into depression or they went yeah. into this aggression and i thought yep the psychologists are right you know the child psychologists who say if you're going to teach your kid two languages they're going to struggle socially to integrate and they're going to struggle with the language and it's there, there's going to be just expect some aggression they're going to usually yell they're usually going to be more physical hmm. because they need other forms of communication because they're not able to verbally and articulate what they want um so with that experience also i don't know if you um remember I, it was kind of shadowed with uh the uh the trade towers being being shot down with the planes in in 2001. 2001 yeah there was a right before that about a month or two before that there was a a, a mass murder spree in sacramento and uh it was by a russian a guy named nikolai soltis and it was that year that i decided to cut my hair bald you went mm. bald i went bald yeah mm. um because as you can see my hair is a bit of a mop and it's hard to take care of um and i just don't <laughs> want to bother with it it's so much easier to keep it short um so i cut it short and it was bald and this guy decided to kill his family to kill a bunch of people uh with a knife so it, it, it was it was it was a it was terrible terrible thing but we looked alike and not just me other guys my friends uh look you know in, in a way russians look alike you know just mm -hmm. the same way people say well all asians look alike and all black people look alike people say that not to be mean but there is there are, there are similarities and i know this because i have a, a russian radar i can kind of look in the <laughs> mall i'm like hey i'm pretty sure that guy is russian yeah i i my radar is still up um and, and working just fine and so anyways there there were you know my 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 buddy who i think he went to the mall and he's just talking with his family and friends and you know you go out a day at the mall mm -hmm. out of nowhere he gets tackled from behind arrested and thrown into a cop car because they thought here's nikolai soltis um and he he unfortunately looked more like nikolai soltis <laughs> than i did oh boy um I didn't get tackled, but I did get questioned. Um, yeah, I, I did get stopped. I did get handcuffed. I did get you know the, this this kind of interrogation, and and he got thrown in, and he was in jail waiting to be proved that he was not Nikolai Soltis. And he's like, 
look at my ID. Look at, you know, do what you need to do until it, you know, they did the fingerprinting, process the fingerprints and all that to, to confirm just exactly. Um, now, I say this because this is, this is, this is typical, right? We can say racial profiling. Um, th th there's a systemic injustice. I would say yes and no. Um, systemic in the sense that for the most part, cops are just trying to do their job and they'd rather be safe than sorry. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't want them to be nice to, to someone who can possibly be a criminal. Um, now, when that person's not a criminal, it does feel like there's injustice. This is wrong. I shouldn't be treated. That's true. You should not be treated that way. I should not be treated this way. But the world is not the way it ought to be. And we know this because of sin. We know this. Mm -hmm. And we know that Christ is saying this, and he says, I'm going to make it this utopia that you're trying to imagine and do on your own. That's only going to happen when Christ returns. Mm -hmm. That's really good news for us. So even all the things that we're talking about here today and say, hey, th these are some things. The good news is we're going to have that. We're going to have an absolute integration where we're still allowed to celebrate our differences and... That's only going to happen, though, when Christ returns. We're never going to come to a place where, hey, we're, we finally arrived. You know, that's th what the social justice warriors want. Only Christ can bring about. So this is why sin is not a problem, but the problem. And mm -hmm. Christ is not a answer. It is the, he is the answer. Um, this is why we, we, we approach it through Scripture. But th these are just a, a few things. And uh, the, the, the second and last thing I'll say as, as an experiential thing um, is there was a huge epidemic of car theft in Sacramento, and a lot of those were, inst you know, people at fault for those things were Russians. And people assumed, oh, you're Russian to me, and you, you steal cars. And I said, no, <laughs> I don't. Or you know those people who did. But yeah. I actually know people who did. <laughs> actually know. I, my cousins. <laughs> I totally didn't know that either. I was totally... <laughs> Like being facetious. No, no, my cousins. I, one of my cousins actually died because he stole a car and then he drove it across uh, to mm. Oregon. So you take it and then you, you, you register it somewhere else. And you, you pretty much pull it apart uh, for parts. And uh, a lot of the Russians run car shops. And so it, it, it doesn't take much to do. You've got all the tools. You've got all the resources. Mm. Um, and you get free parts, which you sell for a living. Mm. Anyways, you know, you, you buy a salvage beat-up car. You take somebody else's car you put yours together you sell yours and say it's mine i bought it here's the paperwork we're getting a real education oh my yeah. god wow let's say money laundering <laughs> yeah money yeah. laundering, yeah. laundering exactly um so it's i'm i'm saying it can be done in a, in a day or two yeah. it, it doesn't take much um and so here's one i had i had a cousin who died doing this another cousin who was actually teaching me how to do this in in high school he says okay look this is how you do it and you know the movie gone in 60 seconds yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it's true. You can actually steal a car under 60 seconds. It, it really is. All you need is a screwdriver. That's it. A flathead sc screwdriver. And, and you can take a car in 60 seconds. <laughs> episode on car stealing. Yes. We're going to get to that. Well, I'm, get I'm, I'm trying to entertain our <laughs> listeners a little bit. Um, but at the same time, yeah, this is, this is a choice. There is a nature. There is a nurture element at play here. But I'm the one who has to pull the trigger. I'm the one who has to choose whether I want to be a part of this or not. And by God's grace, I didn't. I, I chose not to be a part of this. It was all around me. It was easy money. Um, I could have social privileges given to me. Those things that 
I, I long for. By being part of that. By being part of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, think about it. I get a, I get a club, a gang in a sense. I get a group of guys who I would work with. Um, there's support. There's backup. Uh, there's a, a community that comes with that, and there are, I get a car out of it. You know, I get <laughs> I get to drive a new car every week, a nice car, not one of those beat up Pentos, right? <laughs> I, you know, if you go to Sacramento now, most Russian guys will drive a Mercedes or BMW. That wasn't originally theirs. Well, <laughs> again, it's a blurry line. What do, What do you mean by theirs? Uh, what, what part of it? Uh, <laughs> I see what you're saying there. <laughs> um, and now I'm not now I'm not saying not that any Russians gonna listen to this, but I'm not saying that that's everybody. Yeah. But I would say wealth doesn't come out of a vacuum. Okay. So yeah. you work your way up, sometimes doing a few sleazy things along the way. Oh. So there are plenty of guys who've made it up and doing well for themselves, making good six figures consistently. But I can say mm, i'm pretty sure you made a few fudges here or there right there yeah you know how it is yeah. if you're running a business and you say a little less in taxes and a little more here <clears throat> just whatever <clears throat> props you up that's <clears throat> normal um not necessarily good but still not normal. not not good but it is a norm sin is a norm oh yeah um and not that it's the you know acceptable in any way but my point is that um not every white guy you see it has the same experience, has the same privilege. You know, my point uh, about myself is I didn't have the same privileges that most people would say, oh, you're a privileged white guy. I would say, what privileges are you talking about? Some, yeah, I have some privileges. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you hear the word, my name, Pavel, you say, ooh, what is that? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and even then, there are stigmas we talked about right russians have a stigma more so in sacramento where i grew up than here but even northeast philly there was gangs there still are gangs russian gangs money laundering there was there was a lot of examples when i when i, I actually did live in northeast philly by god's providence i didn't even plan it but when i moved in and it's just a heavily populated a densely populated russian community there and they're like oh so and so mm. a lot more non-christians and so there's a lot more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say licentiousness is what I'm thinking, but I would assume that's not a term people are familiar with. So more of this... Debauchery? Yes. Well, not, 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 not just that, but more of, there's no, less restraint. Yeah. Much less restraint. So in Sacramento, there was a huge wave of, of people within my group of these religious refugees, people who were religious and they moved... And that wave moved to Sacramento. So you're gonna, you're, you, you will find, even to today, many Russian churches. And if you meet a Russian person, you don't, even, you, you can easily ask, what church do you go to? Mm. And they will tell you what church. In Northeast Philadelphia, it's a very different ballgame. Uh, most of the Russians you'll meet don't go to church, and the other half will be probably Jewish, huh. not Protestant, mm -hmm. not Christian. Same thing with. Um, New York. Most of the Russians that came from Russia were Jews, yeah. not Protestants. And uh -huh. then, and then there's also the academic wave that came through. Uh, they moved simply because they had academic degrees, and the Communist Party didn't let that flourish. And so they said, "Hey, we'll take our knowledge here." Um, so my my point is is that we all have to fight 
a way up. We, yeah. we all have to climb a ladder somehow, and sometimes we do it in a way that's non-lawful. And... Yeah, so it, it seems like, you know, you've been talking a little bit about the idea of, of privilege and, and that there's, there's something, it's not so simple. It's not, no. As to say, it's just one thing, white privilege, whatever, and that it's universal everywhere that you go because mm -hmm. it kind of depends. If you go to one part of town, your privilege ends, and now it actually becomes not a privilege. Mm -hmm. It might become a, a burden. But if you were to, so I, I, I think. Yeah, and when, when and I, I had a, a few friends, Hispanic and Asian and black, um, and they would, yeah, it, none of them say to me, oh, you, you've had the privilege. I said, no, I didn't. I didn't have the language. If you yeah. just have the language, it's an immense privilege. That's said, true. You have you had much more privilege than I did because you have a place to stay. You have networks to, to connect with and find work, L lawful work, legal <laughs> ways <laughs> of, of obtaining income because you didn't need to resort to illegal forms because you had the language. I didn't have the language. My dad didn't have the language. Mm -hmm. He came here with six kids and $20 in his pocket and he was just supposed to figure it out. Yeah. And he did. Wow. Now, huge disadvantages. Huge disadvantages coming without any language. I mean, think about moving to China now. You would say, well, now we've got even more advantages with technology where I can po kind of figure my way out. But we're, we're talking like early 90s. There wasn't ah. Google Translate. You, you couldn't just speak into your phone and translate some stuff to someone. Uh, yeah, you, you had to just hope someone would understand or have the compassion to point you to the nearest restroom. Um, yeah, huh. something like that. It, it seems like, well, that shouldn't be difficult. Well, yeah, because you have the language. Mm -hmm. We don't even think about it. It's like walking. You know, you don't think that you're doing it until you're not or that's unable true, until to. you can't. Yeah. No, that's a good point, man. I'm glad you brought brought that up, Pavel. I, I really appreciate that. And I hope that it sets a good stage here good context to um you know now that we, we we shared some of this how the question is and i want to open up to, to to both of you is all right so we've kind of you know seen some of the problems some of the struggles some of the differences now how do we respond to that how how do we um you know we've, we've mentioned that sin is is at the root here and, and i know that's kind of like a sunday school answer like what's the What's the, you know, why is this a problem? Mm. Sin, you know, what's the solution? Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there's, but there's truth in all of that. But let's, I want to try to unpack that a little bit. So let's, uh, you know, what do you, what do you, uh, what passages do you guys have in mind or, or things about uh, how, do, how did sin lead to these kinds of problems? And how is Christ the solution to these kinds of problems? Uh, do you have some, want to go there first, Dylan, or? Um, sure. I mean, so I think biblically speaking, I think it's, um, I think it's an uphill battle to argue that, um, with respect to accountability before God, um, that, that group identity trumps, uh, the grounds upon which we stand as individuals. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not to say that there's no community element to salvation, right? Christ comes to rescue his church, 
God set his affection on Israel. Um, there are some community elements there. That being said, when we individually stand before the Lord to give an account, um, and if we are found guilty, we would not be able to plead the uh, disadvantages of our group um, as, as any kind of uh, solution. Um, we, we stand or fall individually. And th there, are some, there are some key passages that come to play there. Um, you know, one, for example, and this, this also bears on some of the conversations happening around uh, race and, and um, kind of the, 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 the desire for, uh, among, among some, group, some groups for, for reparations, and the idea being that over time, um, you know, because of uh, white ancestry, historically and the oppression and prejudice and racism and discrimination that have been practiced uh, not only in kind of explicit forms of uh, anima you know like you know lynchings and, and the KKK and stuff like this and, and kind of the acceptability and the norm of racism in society but also you know systemically when we think about you know the legacy of Jim Crow um, so now the idea being that today uh, the past led towards certain conditions that exist today that are not there, right? Mm -hmm. And so now to what extent is today's uh, white community, and I put white in quotes because of, as we've already discussed, there's some complexity it's, it's around oversimplification. that. It's oversimplification. It's yeah. a vast oversimplification. Um, to what extent is there responsibility there? Um, but this ties back to the notion of group guilt or group mm -hmm. uh, victimhood or group innocence. Um, so w one passage that comes to mind <clears throat> is uh, Ezekiel 18. Okay. Um, in particular, verses 1 to 24. It's kind of a longer passage, um, but I'll just read a couple of verses here. Um, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the, as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, he doesn't do anything as an individual, um, he shall surely live, declares the Lord God. Uh, if he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things, um, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, um, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Um, now, and, and uh, the Lord continues to go on to give a number of examples. Um, verse 19, yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. Um, so, and, and again, all the way up to verse 24, kind of the point being, um, there, there is this, there's this very blunt recognition that um, sin has, has multi-generational consequences. Yes. Um, and yet, the party held accountable is the party uh, perpetrating the offense, the soul who sins shall die. Um, and you get something likewise in, in Deuteronomy 24, uh, 16. Um, yes. so, so there's a, there are, there are a couple of passages 
where um, likewise in the New Testament, right, where where believers are are uh, we we are viewed in terms of our union with Christ, and 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 that that unity with Christ is is what tr- is what trumps uh, any kind of um, group identity, right? So 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 there are. Uh, it's complex because you don't want to then go so far as to say that there's no sense in which individuals belong to groups or can be like we categorize. We do. We can't think apart from categorization. Human beings can't. Language depends on categorization. Like we, we need it. Right. Yeah. And, and and pattern recognition is is part and parcel of 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 regular thought <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean it, it's not necessarily bad or wrong mm-hmm. um when it gives birth to to prejudices and and to biases um it can be it, it's unhelpful largely yeah. i mean although you know even even some cultural contexts can can give rise to certain uh, certain norms, you, you, you know, Paul yeah. can say, you know, Cretans are evil bellies, liars, right? So, yeah. so, so there's, there is some sense in which it, it can be helpful to identify certain patterns within cultures. And those are some of the things that we've been trying to tease out. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, when we're talking about our, our salvation, um, I would not be able to plead the disadvantages of my community before Christ yeah. when I'm called to account for my sin. That makes sense. Um, or the advantages, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think there, those are at least a couple of things to, yeah. to touch so on. Yeah, so to summarize, yeah, so basically um, we recognize that that our, our actions have impact on others, on other generations. Uh, sin can has that ripple effect. Uh, there can even be, be a sin that becomes a norm, like probably you were mentioning regarding uh, Russians and, 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 the, and the car business, mm-hmm. right? That becomes a norm. And in some ways, those norms can become stereotypes that, that, that you would say pattern recogni- recognition um, could be fair or unfair mm-hmm. uh, to, to use that pattern or to make that stereotype. But at the end of the day, Scripture says individuals are to be punished for their own sins. Well, and, and now they become part of a group. They do. F- through union with Christ, right? So, That's so, right. So Peter can write in 1 Peter yeah. 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. So there is a sense in which there is there is a new heavenly community being uh, cultivated and, and fostered through faith in Christ. And so we... we there is a sense, and you, you you can't lose that notion of, oh, of sure. group identity, right? Sure. Be, because because the new Te- the New Testament is full of it. But but where it where it shines and where it endures unto eternity is the heavenly community, the new covenant community yes. through faith in Christ. Okay. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. And so, Pavel, I wanted to get some of your thoughts on that, and specifically on uh, uh, the concept of oppression. Like how the how the Bible views mm-hmm. sin and oppression, because we throw that term around very loosely, and I don't I don't think we have yet defined that term uh, in our conversation today. But I think it might be helpful yeah. to to view things in light of so so your thoughts uh, from Scripture there uh, regarding oppression. How does the Bible view oppression and sin in this particular discussion? Right. Um, <clears throat> so the Bible has a lot to say about this. Um, I think most. Than anything, um, you can 
you can kind of guess why most Jews become lawyers. <laughs> because the Bible has a lot to say about the injustice uh, that happens to Jews um, and the injustice that even happened within the community, uh, the, J the Jewish community themselves. So the, to give an example, you know, the rich person would buy off the judge and the judge would turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to that crime. And someone who's poor wouldn't get the justice, wouldn't even get the time of day. And this is an example um, mm. when Jesus even says about the woman who goes to the judge pleading her case uh, over and over. And he says, you know, this, this, this unjust, this unjust judge listens to her. And, and he says, how much more would a just God? A just judge would listen to you. He would be quick and, 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 and happy to take your case. Mm. So what he's saying is, is something that was really common in that, that society was that you wouldn't get uh, a case. You, you wouldn't get a court hearing, so to say, if you were sinned against, unless you had money, unless you could pay the judge. Uh, something here today that would that would be foreign to us because you want a lo civil lawsuit sure you know i slipped sure i'll sue you <laughs> yeah you hit my car you have insurance i don't care i'll still sue you you know and we sue left and right mm. because it's free you know it's it's easy and that's a in a way that's a really good thing now we abuse these 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 mm. wonderful gifts um and privileges of, of just being in america i love america yeah. um <laughs> Because yeah. you said that like America, America, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but since I'm wearing my my yeah. Bass Pro hat, yeah, Bass Pro uh, shop hat, <laughs> yeah. yeah, commented on your hat. Yeah, yeah, it does match your shirt. Yes, yes. But you're not wearing purple hearts on your shirt. No, not not anymore, <laughs> not anymore. Um, so scripture. My point is, the overall story of scripture has a lot to say. But kind of uh, piggybacking on what Dylan had said on identity. So first and foremost, we have to squash this 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 identity crisis we have in our society. Um, I had this crisis one of who am I? Yeah, who am I? Am I a Russian? Um, am I an American? Do I? And I, there was this there was this ongoing internal war in me saying no, I have to hold on to my Russianness. And church became a cultural center that was just connected to my Russian uh, identity. And then I thought, well, now I just want to be American. Once I got into high school and then pursuing college, I said, I want to be an American, an, an all-American boy, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I thought, okay, what, what do Americans do? And this is my thought process, right? <laughs> what do Americans do in high school? And like, what did you think that Americans did? You do sports. High school is a big deal. For me, high school was not a big deal. The church was the big deal. My youth group was a big deal. Uh, that's where I spent most of my time. I didn't get involved. I didn't go to prom. I didn't care for that garbage. I didn't care for the, so <laughs> the social dynamics that uh, the high school has. Americans take that very serious, you know? Mm -hmm. There are jocks, there are cheerleaders, there are the geeks, the nerds, hmm. uh, the, the emos, and so forth. And the list goes on. I didn't know where I fit into that list. I'm like, I feel like I need to fit into one of those. Uh, so I did wrestling in high school because oh. I, I wanted to fit in some. And that fits to use a Russian. Yeah. Russians are known it, for wrestling. It, yeah. Bears so so it like worked. That. It worked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could still hold on to my Russianness a little bit. Uh, but then I realized coming to my high school year that this is. This is stupid. I mean, this is it, it, this is not worth it because it, it doesn't satisfy. I, I'm here. I have a group. 
But then what? I'm still just as lost. Why? Because our, my identity could not be defined by me being Russian. It could not be defined by me being an American. Now, I have dual citizenship, so I am a little bit confused. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, so many of us will say, my identity, and then we're not going to say this explicitly, my identity is Russian. Mm -hmm. My identity is Hispanic. My identity is black. That, that is what defines who I am and defines how I will live. Hmm. As Christians, this is, this, is, this is the good news of the gospel. You don't have to be defined by being a Jew or being a Gentile or being a Greek or being a Russian or being a black, yeah. being a Hispanic, being an Asian. You don't need to be defined by that. Asians are constantly chasing that stereotype of smart, you know, successful, and that drives them to depression and anxiety. Uh, you know, just thinking about some of even my Korean friends in seminary, they get so worked up about uh, A minus. I'm like, just get over yourself, buddy. <laughs> like, nobody cares for it. I don't care. You don't care. Who is it? Who are you showing this to? Mm -hmm. um, but it, the reason they get so worked up is because there's a stereotype, there's a social pressure that's given that you have to succeed. You know, you're Asian. Academic. Yeah. Mm. Uh, academic pressure. And so we don't, we don't talk much about it. We actually celebrate it. And, and we, we kind of monitor what school the Asians go to. And we say, that's a good school, right? Huh. And so my point is that identity crisis has to be addressed. If we're pursuing anything man-made, we're pursuing idols. But, yeah. but if we're pursuing God who has given us great gifts like education, great gifts like communities and good Indian food, you know, that's, that's awesome. But I, you don't, you don't, your life doesn't need to be defined by, by being Indian uh, or anything like that. We are first and foremost Christians. And Paul talks about this in the, in the, in the book of Ephesians, right? Where, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He talks about this, this concept that Christ is the head of the church. So in the same concept that he then points out, um, he is the head of the church, like the husband is the head of his bride. So we're not we're not just talking about this concept of he is a head of a, a of a body and then we are the limbs. He, that's not what he's talking about. He's 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 talking about a husband and wife, two persons, and here is Christ, the husband, the head of his wife, the church, and we are connected as. A distinct, a different. There's a sameness, but there's also a, a differentness. We are different to Christ in many ways, but we are still with Him, and we are defined by whom mm -hmm. we are, we are now uh, engaged to, and we're looking forward to that wedding, uh, the wedding feast, as Revelation puts it. But still, today we are taken, and this is this is probably the best summary of of the covenant concept the Scripture gives us. Uh, is is in the, in the book of uh, Song of Solomon. I am His, and He is mine. Hmm. And that identity should be engraved in our hearts. Should be tattooed on the inside of our eyelids to be thinking, I am His, and He is mine. Hmm. I am not. I don't. I don't belong to Russia. I don't belong to Putin, even though I have his big face um, in my office. <laughs> as, as a joke. As a joke. As a joke. As a joke. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. Yeah. Uh, because it scares the children away. Uh, <laughs> but my my point is, we are we are we're Christian, and I'm 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 you know I'm I'm laughing at this concept when when I refer to it, but I don't ignore it. It's still there. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we still have these elements, and they're, they're good. We can celebrate those things, and we can explore it. We can understand 
and appreciate those things. Yes. Um, and there's something worth understanding. There's something worth appreciating there, even if we don't agree with it, even if we don't, you know, like it sometimes. There's still things we can appreciate. So I want to ask you a couple of follow-up questions about that. Mm-hmm. So, you, but you, so number one, you would you say, and I'll, I'll answer both these questions. Then you can. Well, I'll ask them. Then you can answer them. But would you say that uh, even though Christ is the ultimate identity, that there there still can be like underneath that or subsumed underneath the identity as a Christian, you still are. You can still have a Russian identity or an American identity or whatnot. And number two. Um, do you have to, like, are there certain things that, fr- like, uh, from each identity that you should jettison or that, that are, that, that should be accepted? So, like, you know, certain cultural things, uh, how do you know which things to keep, which things to get rid of, uh, and, and, and whatnot? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would steal Paul's language. I would say anything outside of Christ is there, but nothing more valuable than cow dung. Uh, right. Paul would say, you know, I've got this wonderful education. He what did he had the equivalent of like four or five PhDs. Um, he was the Jew of Jews, circumcised on the, the eighth day and um, trained by the best you know, rabbis of the time. And he had an amazing amount of experience and he knew many things and he did many things and he suffered many things. So he's got the martyr's reputation. He's got, you know, the church planner's reputation, the pastor of pastors reputation. And he says, I don't care for any of that. <laughs> he says, that's not my value system. You want it? You can have it. I don't care. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And that's it. He says, I am a Christian. That's who I am. And anything anything apart from that is just utter dung. Is it there? Absolutely it's there. Is it a product of something? Of course. Do I use that to be a kingdom worker? Absolutely. But I build his kingdom, not my own. And so I think what I see, and I, I actually had a friend I have a friend. I still hope we're friends. <laughs> You're not sure of your friend? I'm friends? not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> he was one of my one of my groomsmen, and he's black, but he left his church because they didn't speak on social justice elements or the the oppression of the black man particularly enough. They, they, didn't, they didn't address that enough. And, it, and I would say, Leon, that's not... That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not to be the social justice warrior. Now, at the same time, is there truth? And so when I sat down with him to try to understand where he was coming from and appreciate his pain to some degree, I could relate. I know what it's like to be uh, different, to be a misfit. I go back to Russia. They look at me as an American. Really? They say, you're different. You're not like us because I have been Americanized. I, I'm here in America, and people say, you're different because you have a funny name, and you look a little funny. Um, you I, got a little accent. I get a little bit of an accent, yeah, and it'll slip out. And I'm still not sure what kind of an accent it is. Sometimes it's a Philly accent. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's a California accent. And sometimes it's just, I don't know what it is, just a lazy tongue. Um, and I can blame it on my Russianness. Um, but I don't, I don't belong. I think we can all say that. We can all agree to that. I, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one. We all might have a place in our societies, but we all have that that itch of saying, ah, something's just not right. I just I still don't feel like I'm I'm where I need to be. You mm-hmm. know, we all have a job that we say, I love my job. I just don't know if this is if this is it. 
If yeah. this is the thing I'm gonna die doing. Yeah. If this is Especially what, if you try to identify like this is my identity if is you this say, job. Yeah, and this is this is a typical male problem, right? We're gonna define ourselves by our job, which is usually if a man gets fired from his job or let go. It's probably the most devastating thing that could happen. Well, that's to a man. something that 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 I've seen uh, in the military community, especially mm -hmm. among pilots. Mm -hmm. Like, typically, you'll get if someone asks you, "What do you do?" They won't say, "I'm an officer." They'll say, "I'm a pilot." Mm. So it is more defined by the specific role. I am. I am. We a make pilot. those I am statements. And if yeah. you if you find a person who's a, a career military pilot. Man, the guys that lose their like they 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 lose their wings because of medical problems, like you know some kind of injury or eye problem. Mm -hmm. um, it's devastating. I mean, because yeah. that identity is wrapped up big time in being a combat military aviator, and I mean unless you're doing uh, some kind of airline airline duty, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can't really carry that over into the civilian sector yeah. unless you are flying you know, 777s or something like that, something big. Uh, but, yeah, it's just interesting, that identity crisis. Yeah. It applies not just in the world of ethnicity and culture and language, but also in work. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I one of the things that I, I try to do personally on, on this issue in particular is I, I really do, um, and I hope this comes out in, you know, personal conversations that I have with friends, um, I really do try to give both sides of this issue a fair hearing. Um, and I mean, by this issue, I just mean, you know, conversations on, on oh, yeah. race generally and some of the some of the tensions therein. I really want to listen to um, both sides on this. So so to one of the things that Pavel said, so uh, real quickly, it might just be useful. I'm going to so I want to share why some might hear what Pavel is saying and take offense to it, because it, the the danger is, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but the danger is in in flattening out the distinct uh, modes of suffering historically mm. that have been experienced by different people groups, right? So, um, so to try to, as a white individual, identify with the struggles of a black individual, like a white man identifying with the struggles of a black man, a black man would say, you know, you don't have the same kind of historical experience in America and, and the weight of that. And, and that experience informs my sense of struggle in a way that you just could not identify with. Um, and now, what, this, this actually is one of the places where, where intersectionality can come into play and, and in, in some measure be useful, right? Because when you think about, um, like, the end game of intersectionality is individualism, right? Because oh, Explain what, that. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I mean by that is, um, intersectionality is is basically a, um, a a tool. Now it can often it can often be used for um, unhelpful purposes, but but at root it, it's a tool to help us understand the different layers and levels of, of people's identity, kind of yeah. like what you unpacked earlier, um, right? So so as a church, you might say, well, we have a a ministry for um, let's say inner city uh, mothers who are. Um, under a certain income threshold. Okay. So you might say, well, as a church, we have a ministry for mothers. As a church, we have an inner city ministry. As a church, we have a ministry for, you know, low income individuals, right? Um, but now what is it about layering all of these on top of each other that, that make a particularly, you know, unique uh, need of, 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 of someone in 
uh, that, that shares the confluence of these categories that someone who doesn't share all of those categories might not have, right? Uh, another example that I've heard given would be um, uh, single unwed mothers, right? You have a singles ministry, you have unwed ministry, uh, you know, a singles ministry, but then also a ministry to mothers. But there's unique challenges that come when you have the confluence of all these things together, right? So intersectionality is a tool to help us to help us get at that reality and and to the extent that some of these tools are are useful or actually portray uh truth uh you know portray truth or help us to understand truth they're really just borrowed capital from a christian worldview anyway um but but now but now to pavel's point right at the end of the day what i mean by you know the end game of intersectionality is individualism is you know you peel back enough layers of these of these axioms of identity right so the the big ones are race class and gender uh you know age makes an appearance here and there uh disability makes an appearance here and there but but you can think of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these axioms on which difference comes to be um known or identified or 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 you know maybe familiarity right again there's this notion of kind of pattern recognition so if i if you're looking at all the different possible ways that i might identify with someone all right. There's there's thousands upon thousands of different mm. possible um, axioms of identification categories and, categories. Right. And, and, and within that now, is it is there some truth to the notion that that the default mode of, of human thought tends to be and, and human comfort tends to be with those where there is maximum familiarity? Right. And generally, the answer is probably. Right. But now we still need to overcome that because in Christ, all of those those differences are brought to naught to, to, to Pavel's point. Right. So but they're not nullified. They're not nullified. No, no they're not. Christ celebrate and uses that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. So now while there may be some um, some offense taken by someone in the black community saying, you know, we identify with such and such a struggle at the end of the day. um, one black man's experience with law enforcement is not another black man's experience with law enforcement. One white man's experience in America uh, and experiencing certain kinds of privilege is not precisely the same as another white man's experience in America, even if even if both of by virtue of the fact that both of them are white, they still share certain certain experiential privileges that, that they may have experienced. It's, it's entirely possible. And just as in the same way, there may be there may be disadvantages to to uh, non-white f- folks, you know, if you, black, Asian, Hispanic, who and, and by virtue of the fact that they're non-white, there may be some some disadvantages. But but the point being that that race is one axiom al- along many, many, many <laughs> along which those 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 senses of familiarity and shared experience are felt. And right now we tend to reduce them all to to race, class, gender. And, and that tends to be, I think, an oversimplification. So really, you peel back that onion and all of those layers at the end of the day, mm. no one has precisely the same experience as someone else. It's impossible. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. So t- so you're so. It would be just as unhelpful for someone to come along and and undermine the legitimacy of your experience, right, and of your struggle to say, look, you didn't know the language, so you didn't have. There's there's a linguistic advantage. There's a linguistic privilege, right? That's one of those many, many, many axioms, mm-hmm. um, and huh. and. W- w- and it would be important for someone. I like. I would be jealous to guard your, the uniqueness of your experience in that. I guess is what I'm saying, right? Yeah. As an individual, like this is what you experience. Now, 
in the context of community, they may, there may be others who don't who who don't have linguistic privilege, right? Uh, but the point being that that's one of one of many. Yeah. Now that's interesting. This good, good conversation here, uh, because there's a passage that I think really is helpful. And you mentioned Ephesians earlier, yeah. Pavel, and this is from Ephesians chapter two, because I wanted to kind of uh, speak to what you said regarding identity and uh, and privileges and things like that, and. And scripturally, uh, I think it's pretty fair to say that probably the biggest, I don't know, uh, alienation or identity differences would be between the Jews and the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Now, that's more of a, of a it's, it's religious and it's ethnic in that regard. Right. So it's kind of, it's kind of both. But uh, we see very clearly in the New Testament that there was a lot of animosity mm-hmm. between the two groups. Um where you know there was probably a lot of stereotyping going on. I mean, the Jews weren't allowed to; they, they wouldn't even enter a Gentile's house because he's just unclean. He's unclean Gentiles, right? But well, and the problems were yeah, different. And the problems were different. You know, think about yeah how bad a church has to be when you have to have multiple sermons on don't sleep with your mother-in-law, don't, <laughs> don't you know? Oh, like in Corinth. Yeah. Don't get drunk at the Lord's supper. Don't get drunk at the Lord's supper. <laughs> um, don't don't sacrifice the idols. Come on, guys, please don't do it. You know, like yeah. we don't we don't have those problems. And I think that would be the same thing if if we were in a different if we were in a Filipino church in Philip in the Philippines, the sermons would be very different. The application yes. would be different. Yes, but the text does not change. Mm-hmm. That's true. The text is the same. Yeah, and and so what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter two is he's talking to the Gentiles, and, and I'll start in verse 11. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So let me pause there. That's a pretty bleak picture mm-hmm. that Paul just painted. Like you were talking earlier about, you know, you're not quite Russian, you're not quite American. Uh, you, you, there was that sense of lostness, right? Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, what he just described for the Gentiles is pretty negative. It's like you are alienated from the commonwealth. You were, you were strangers to the covenants, and you had no hope. And you were without God mm-hmm. in the world. Like, that can be nothing more depressing and dark than that, it seems like. But then he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near mm-hmm. by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Mm-hmm. And he's speaking specifically hostility between Jew and Gentile by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So it's interesting how he describes a lot of this death and killing language uh, there. But the, the wall of division between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. So the hostility is now dead. And then he says... And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So 
the concept of the body of Christ, the building of the temple, all of that, um, he's showing how in Christ, the two most alienated groups in all of human history, Jews and Gentiles, are now together. They're now in one. Hostility is broken down. And I have to say, like, if that hostility and that dividing wall can be broken down between Jew and Gentile, it certainly can be broken down between any other yeah. groups that are at odds with each other. I mean, you would think of Samaritans and Jews. That that dividing wall can be broken down in Christ as well. Uh, white Americans and black Americans. Or how about we say the Japanese and the Chinese uh, with their history of bloodshed between each other uh, from World War II and earlier. Or let's say... Uh, you, know, you know, any in the Middle Eastern tribes uh, there. So, and I think part of Paul's yeah. point being that that the the church is where that happens. Exactly, that's exactly right. Right. So, so that the new covenant community is constituted of um, individuals, you know, men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Which, incidentally, where where that appears in in uh, you know, it comes up pretty often in in Revelation that mm-hmm. you, um, heaven will be filled with uh, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And even there, though, the point of of the every tongue, tribe, and nation not being the the exaltation of of those various tongues, tribes, and nations, but the exaltation of Christ by people who represent various tongues, tribes, and nations. Yeah. Right. So. Um, so, I mean, yeah, to your point, in the church, um, this is where um, not that these distinctives are nullified mm. or, or are, are erased. They're not nullified. They're not erased. Mm. But what we are saying is that what we have in common in Christ is eternal and is infinitely more valuable mm-hmm. than any of these other axioms of uh, identity that yeah. that we that can be brought to bear and and again t- can legitimately be brought to bear there's there are things to, sh- to say about shared experiences of of people of groups who belong to various uh, who, who identify along these different axioms yeah. there are yeah um, I think one point to bring up about the the, the, the the identities don't get nullified yeah but they get they get brought in submission to Christ I think yeah. one example would be Paul's uh, he does this multiple times is addresses the eating of meat mm-hmm. sacrifice to idols issues like obviously a Jewish person in that day would have been more concerned about meat that wasn't kosher sacrificed in, in the temples and then it's in the marketplace and then obviously a Gentile who's used to eating the meat that's available in the marketplace might not have a problem right. with with that and, and Paul says several different times like you know, regardless of whether you abstain from the meat or you eat the meat, you know, it needs to be done by faith. And it needs to be given thanks mm-hmm. to the Lord and not causing your brother to stumble. So he would say, yeah, if you if you are from a Jewish background and you wish to abstain from the meat, do that for the right reasons. Don't do it thinking that you have to do it to, like, maintain the cleanliness laws. But if your conscience binds you... And you want to, and you just don't, you want to abstain from it. That's fine. Same thing for you Gentiles. If you want to partake, do it for the right reasons mm-hmm. and don't cause each other to stumble. But you can have that difference, those differences, right? The, um, uh, but also unity. So it doesn't nullify the different cultural aspects of Jews and Gentiles, but it does say that they're all under Christ. Yeah. And that's, that's where it needs to. That's where the limit is. So mm-hmm. the limit is 
you Jewish Christian, you don't get to basically, you know, force your Gentile Christian to become circumcised or f force him to partake of the food laws. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you, you know, Gentile Christian don't make fun of or mock the Jewish Christian for not partaking of the of the meat you know it was kind of you know kind of the stronger and the weaker brethren not uh, having that hostility with each other mm, so it yeah. seems to be that you that's where you can have the differences in culture but also the unity in christ does mm -hmm. that make sense yeah mm -hmm. yeah let me let me speak a little bit more yeah. towards the, the the scriptural things that we could still use today uh, i talked to um a professor from rts who also spoke at woke church conference mm -hmm. with uh um, what's his name? I'm, my mind just blanked. Mason? If, yeah, Eric, Eric Mason. Mason. Yeah. Do you, so Dylan and I went to Westminster Theological Seminary together. Um, Dylan, do you remember Carl Ellis coming over and, and speaking? I do. Yeah. Um, so Carl Ellis is a, a Provost Professor of Theology and Culture at RTS, and um, he's also Senior Fellow of the African American Leadership uh, initiative so he he his his primary focus is in the african-american um experience and and speaking the theology into that experience um and i asked him i said could you just you know speak to me like a five-year-old uh, <laughs> explain to me as simple as possible what is the church uh what can the church offer to to the African American, someone who is struggling both Christian and non Christian, um, what is it that makes African Americans, specifically in Philadelphia, so attracted to Islam? Hmm. Um, we have this huge attraction to Islam in it. it yeah. Globally, it's considered Philadelphia is considered the Islamic mecca of Black um, Muslims. So this is this is the place to be if you're a black Muslim, and I said, what makes them what makes them go? Christianity is so much better. It's so much better. Hmm. Um, now there's also a huge increase in black Jews in Israel, and that's that's a whole other topic. But I said, why are they searching for religion? There, most African Americans are religious. Most of them are. Um, it's it's strange for, the, for for someone who is black and not being religious. That is a strange thing, and it's a new thing. And he says, "Well, it's simple." Now, Carl Ellis is himself an African American. He told me the, these five things. And I've never forgotten them. He says it, it hinges on five concepts: uh, identity, meaning, purpose, significance, and belonging. Every single human being is searching for these things. Some of us find it easier. Some of us have a harder time finding these things. He says. Now think about the African American African American experience. Who, people, a large group of people, uprooted from their home, separated from their family, put into plantations, sold by planters, uh, by people, and then released back into society. So there's this huge cutaway. I know where I come from because I, why well, I still have connections to my family. Think of if you had this huge gaping hole in your history where you have no idea. It's it, it, imagine yourself being adopted into a family and never knowing yeah. where you came from, never knowing uh, who your parents were. There's this deep longing to want to know. There's this again that that tug and pull for 
this this concept of identity, meaning, purpose, significance, and belonging. And I think for for this these idea of significance and belonging, this scripture has so much to say to that. You know, Isaiah forty three seven says we are created for His glory. Mm-hmm. That's who we're created for, not for our own glory, not for the glory of our family. You know, we're not here to to avenge anybody. We're not. We don't exist for proving something to anybody we we exist to glorify god ephesians 2 10 says created in christ to do good works to do good works and job 29 7 to 17 tells us what those good works actually look like and i'll, I'll read that passage because I, I love that passage so much galatians 2 20 tells us it is not i who live but christ in me even paul says i am a jew but i don't care mm-hmm. i gave that up I'm an academic, but I don't care. I'm this, but I don't care. He says, it's not I who live. He is so, so consumed with his identity in Christ, his significance in Christ, his meaning of life wrapped up in Christ's meaning, uh, his belonging. He belongs to Christ. Again, going back to that covenantal language, I am his and he is mine. He says, I belong to him. Paul starts off his letters, a bound servant of slave of Christ. He would say a slave of Christ, not just a servant who gets to choose when he wants to work and when not, not an employee yeah. who works eight to five, who <laughs> a works, union member, a union of member Christ. of Jesus Christ. No, he <laughs> says a bound slave to yeah. Christ. He says, I, I wear that with pride because I don't get to choose when I start or stop. I don't get to choose what I do or do not do. I do everything all the time for his glory. I work for Christ and I am happy to do it. He says, I delight. I wouldn't I wouldn't want another master. Yeah. Because if we take on any other identities, that is the master we're going to serve. That's interesting. If, if we replace that identity, we become bound servants to our class, to our iPhone, Apple culture. We be you know, what do we have? We have two Mac users here, Dylan and I. I use both. I have, <laughs> and we I have, have look iPad and a so so and and there there is that we become you know techie and that becomes a master we serve i need i need the next technology i need need the next best thing and some of these masters are bigger and more well known some of these are smaller and a little bit more secret um and and there are the masters we are uh, we tend we're 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 likely to serve these things why well because our society serves them and and they don't like to serve alone they said hey serve this with us Mm -hmm. but that's also true for christians we say our master is awesome. <laughs> Come and serve him with us. With us yeah. But, but, there's a but. You have to have him as your only master. You have to repent of all the other masters. You have to, before yeah. you say his kingdom come, you have to say your kingdom go. Yeah. And you have to renounce all other masters. And that's a hard, lifelong process to do. And if, if you're searching this, um, it is a good news to us when Paul says, Romans 8, 28, this is a famous verse. All things work for the, for the good of those who love God. And so if we actually love God, there's, there's, there's the second part of that verse is we are called to his purposes. Yeah. Because we are also part of working that good in other people's lives. And so when God gives us comfort, us as Christians, he gives us comfort for our salvation, our, our, our new identity in Christ. I am not first Russian. I am not first American. I am first Christian. My identity could be summarized in the scriptural sense in Christ. Yeah, that's right. I am lost and consumed with this in Christ. I don't know 
Dylan, do you remember um, Truman talking about uh, martyr back? Dr. Carl Truman? It was Dr. Yeah. Carl Truman, yeah. uh, my home dog. Um, <laughs> he was so hilarious. So wonderful church historian. Um, listeners, if you've never been introduced to Carl Truman, I, I strongly recommend him. Um, but he mentioned something in class that I thought was just so beautiful. I think it was in the Middle Ages where y you have so many things that um, that the ancient church would write about. And always, 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 the church's biggest concern, even today the, the big concern is not whether these things are true or not. The concern was um, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a Christian here? today what does that look like um and in the times of the martyrs it looked like to be a christian to be martyred you know, so if you were if you were missing a limb for christ something something that happened they would say that's a christian and if you somehow escape that persecution escape that you say you're less of a christian hmm. and so someone who who had the scars of persecution they were somehow raised up in that community as as it's still very similar today. So, yeah. you, so if I was to tell you, and this is true, that my family was persecuted, I've got grandfathers who was who were martyred by the communists, who were sent to the gulags, and and died, and that gives me a sense of pride, and rightfully so, right? It's like you saying my my grandfather served in World War Two. Mm -hmm. This is there's a sense of pride. We fought on the right side. If you if you were to say I'm a German, you know, descent, and he fought as a Nazi. You, you, you keep down on the DL, right? <laughs> you keep that down on low and quiet because yeah. it's shameful. Um, but there are, there are things that are, are proud to talk. We are proud to talk about some things. Um, and, but we're trying to define what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to, to actually identify with that? Um, and one, one of the things he said, uh, Carl Truman, was there was one story of a martyr who... They they would ask him, you know, they would say, "Hey, you, you you're not you're not representing the Roman uh, Caesar as as Lord and Savior, which is this divine title that they wanted Christians to say." And th and they said, "Here are your charges, you know, state your name for the court." Yeah. And he says, "Christian." They said, "No, your real name." I am a Christian, and he would not say anything apart from that. He just kept saying, "Who are you?" He says, "I'm a Christian." Hmm. And he, because he kept pushing, the, he knew he was going to die. I mean, yeah. there, it's not like it was a just it's a court system. Yeah, it's there. a kangaroo. Court. When when, yeah. when the when 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 the uh, the judgment is passed for you to be eaten by a lion, you can you can assume it's a little bit of a barbaric system that they've got there. <laughs> and um, and so he used it as an opportunity. He knew he was going to die, and he was saying, "I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian." And I think that's so good for us to remember to and remind ourselves this all the time and every day that i am a first and foremost a christian i'm not a father first i'm not a husband first i am not an employee of x company first i am first and foremost a christian and everything revolves around that yeah. identity and so as we think about this so so what does it look like um i think job gives us this this great concept of you know Seek first the kingdom, Matthew six thirty three. Right, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We usually forget that and, yeah. um, and His righteousness. So, what does it look like to be righteous? Uh, you know, Job was considered one of the most righteous men that ever lived, and these are not my words. You know, God says, "Hey, 
Have you noticed him? Consider my servant Job. Yeah, consider myself as Job. He, he's he's awesome. And then we can we can say we can say that with him. So let me let me read Job just for our listeners because this is not a passage that people usually recognize. Um, every time I share this with people, they're like, "Oh, I don't I don't think I've ever heard this passage." Uh, we kind of breeze through Job because he's a little gloomy and doomy, but uh, <laughs> there is something beautiful about about this. So it's let me read it for you. Uh, Job 29, verse 7 to 17. When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside, which is not common today because teenagers don't usually do that, right? (laughs) Um, And the old men rose to their feet out of respect, of course. And the chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. And the voices of the nobles were hushed. And their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me. And those who saw me commended me. Because I rescued the poor. Now, this is a really important because. Verse 12. So we kind of see this first beginning of, of saying, here's this reputation. Here's this um, honor of Job. And we are, we're starting to see exactly what was going on in, in his society, in his city. Uh, the, the, the people also saw what God saw, and what God saw, people saw. And they're saying, this guy is is really cool. He's a really noble, honorable, uh, holy man, righteous man, living uh, for God's purposes, living out his righteousness. And, he, and, and Job begins to give us a glimpse here um, of why. So here's he says, because I rescued the poor who cried for help. And the fatherless, who had none to assist them, the one who was dying, blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. Um, a beautiful concept. Now, this is this is this is intended also to kind of propel us a bit forward. What about those Christians? Uh, what about people like my friend Leon, who was in the church, left the church, and still looking for a church because he's saying Christianity is not doing this. It's not putting on righteousness as its clothing and justice as its robe and turban. We don't wear turbans, but you know what I'm what yeah. I'm talking about. Baseball hat. Baseball hat. Uh, are we? How are we? How are we? Is the question then? Um, how are we standing in as eyes to the blind, uh, as the uh, the one who takes the case of the the, the injustices that do occur? Um, they do occur. They do. They're out there. Sure. Um, there are social privileges that we have. And that also means there's disadvantages that others have. So should we or should we not speak on those disadvantages? And to what degree should we do hmm. that? What What is the church's role? Uh, how do we take on the case? How do we break the fangs of the wicked uh, systems in play? Yeah, that's a good question, Pavel. And it seems like you're, I mean, it's kind of touching on a little bit the concept of social justice, mm-hmm. being a social justice warrior and... Uh, you know, we got a few minutes left, so maybe we can, you know, briefly touch on that. But that might 
might have to you know come back to that topic at another date um but i i would you know i would simply point out that first of all in the passage that you read from from job job himself is doing this job himself is doing so this. so that's important not the synagogue yeah he's not saying yeah. i caused the emperor to mm-hmm. feed the needy or take care of the poor you know he said first and foremost i did these things yeah right so so that's what they that when they look at job they see oh yeah well he's doing that mm-hmm. so i think that's probably the first the first step is a as individual christians are you loving god and loving your neighbor in accordance with with god's word and god's law mm-hmm. are you defrauding your neighbor do you have unequal weights and measures are you cheating and lying and deceiving and all manner of things right um and as far as the community of christians goes in the church you could say okay as a church are we you know having double standards mm-hmm. with regards to you know you know does the is the leadership the pastors the elders are they allowed to engage in sin and no one else gets you know everyone else gets condemned for it or do we have that that, that kind of wickedness mm-hmm. going on is someone uh cheating uh maybe you know, pocketing some some money uh or or taking advantage of uh of their of their authority to have inappropriate relationships mm-hmm. uh with the with the women in the church or whatever the case may be so so basically you know is the righteousness happening in your own life is it happening in the life of of the church um now when it comes to out in the political realm and this is where i think the common understanding of the social justice warrior is misguided because in general and I, i'm speaking in generalities in general those social justice warriors who are not believers mm-hmm. they don't they don't view the solution as a gospel solution they don't view the solution as as being found in the church or in the gospel or in christ so what would you say to so they the they would probably find the solution in in coer- in the use of the civil government mm-hmm. in the use of power mm-hmm. the use of coercion because who else is going to bring about utopia if mm-hmm. it's not Christ it's going to have to be somebody else now as far as christians though who might identify themselves as social justice warriors and that, eric eric is a little yeah. humble here he's written a book on this well right? i'm not here, uh, <laughs> I'm not here. No, I'm not. i'll do the plug for you you go ahead um i mean you have a lot to say to this right this this concept of us making uh, government our savior and in our yeah. idol of saying you know and i think it's true that the social justice warriors think maybe implicitly this is this is this is the answer government is the answer yeah. politics my political party is going yeah. to bring this about therefore i'm going to spend and be spent to this yeah and i will just briefly say that if you are a christian and you describe yourself or you align yourself with the cause of social justice and social justice warriors i would call i would i would ask you to exercise caution because first you need to take out the beam in your own eye before mm-hmm. you can ask or tell someone else or get the speck out of someone else's eye so are you doing righteousness number 1 are you involved in your church is your church doing righteousness number 2 and then number 3 are you asking the government to do the righteousness for you? So that's kind of key, right? Because I think the problem is, is you end up punting mm-hmm. to the civil magistrate to do the righteousness or to make the righteousness happen. 
because it's not happening either in your own life yeah. or in the life of the church. Yeah, and that's dangerous because yeah. that's when you're asking Caesar to basically be the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's not what you want. And that's that's basically a quick summary of basic, you know, asking asking the government to do things it ought not to be doing because those things should be done by individual Christians and the church, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the church has absolved this. You know, I, I, I admit that in some ways the church has dropped the ball. And as individuals, we have dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. I have dropped the ball, you know, in my own personal comfort zone. I don't always reach out to to the people that are different from me, right? Yeah, I yeah. liked in my own little bubble, my own little circle, right? So, you know, this life of comfort and leisure in America, entertainment, all of these things distract us. So, so let me let me qualify. Yeah. let me qualify because so. I love I love the church. Um, the church local, yes, did drop the ball. Yes, not the church global. No, the no. church global. So, for example, I I would argue uh, Martin Luther King was part of the church global. Of course, his theology is not perfect. Yeah, it's not polished. Interesting example. I'd be careful. But about yeah. here's someone who who came from a religious presupposition to say we should pursue uh, this this concept of, of justice for the African-American based on the scriptural uh, ideas that God has given us. Um, Abraham Lincoln is another example. You know, he, here's someone who's using biblical presuppositions, uh, biblical assumptions, um, to push this agenda of, of freeing, liberating um, the African-American from it, the, the, like the... the the slavery afterbirths, if you if you would, um, and and you know there, yeah. there there's there's other examples. You know, Jackie Robinson even. You know, here's here's a baseball player who who played a key role um, in communicating. You know, I I should be treated just like a white person, but not exactly. You know, um, yeah. And the, the the examples can go on and on and on. Oh, absolutely. But the civil rights movement came from the foundation. That scripture laid and my point is if we move away if we call it social justice rather than biblical justice yes then we're, we're that's a war that's going to be lost yeah and thankfully there are jobian like people out there who are going to say i'll take up the cause even if my church as a whole doesn't and that and, and i don't think they should the, the church's responsibility is not no. to, to go in and and be investing all of its resources into one cause. It's not its primary job. It's not its right. primary job. Yeah, no. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, at the end of the day, um, I would say if you divorce these kinds of movements from Scripture, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to get your priorities all messed up. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to ask civil government to do things it ought not to do. And you're going to uh, uh, ignore some of the, um, some of the, uh, the guardrails mm -hmm. that, that the Bible puts in place. There are certain things that the family should be doing. You know, you know, like Paul, like, like in Timothy, he says, the person who's unwilling to take care of his own family is worse than unbeliever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, there, you know, children are to obey their parents. Parents are, in, in the Old Testament, you know, teach these things to your children as you walk by the way, as you lie down, as you get up, mm -hmm. and everything. So, like education, you know, uh, taking care of your health and your welfare, that is a familial, familial duty, mm -hmm. right? And then civil civil government, punish evil, praise the good, be the avenger, bear the sword, mm -hmm. church, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching. So 
the Bible makes it very clear. It gives you the, the, the map, the road map, the instructions on who's to do what, where, and when, and why. And why. That's and the why. big one. That's the big one. The we why do. is because yeah. of Christ. Yeah, like, because he's done all these things. He's the, he's the ultimate job. That's right. Yeah, we, we are the blind. He's become our eyes. Yeah. We are, we've been widowed, so to say, yeah. and he's taken up our cause. We have been you know, treated wickedly by yeah. Satan and his schemes, and he has liberated us from the slavery of sin. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have Christ to thank, and we are motivated by, yeah. by who he is and what he's done for us. But when he gives us comfort from sin, it's not to, for us to get comfortable. And yeah. oftentimes we get comfortable. We say, oh, nice, I've got, I've got some good news, I'm and I'm going to take it here yeah, I'm good. and sip on my whiskey. And, and that's about it. Yeah. And they said, well, well, wait a minute. I think, I think you're missing the point why you've been given yeah. liberty. It's not to abuse your, your liberties. It's not to, to just indulge in the comforts that you, are, you, you can now enjoy. Yeah. But it's, it's not just you know, grow fat with the fruit. It's to get busy. It's to get busy. It's yeah. to bring comfort to others yeah. and encourage them not to get comfortable. That's but right. say, hey, now you take on the cause and you give this comfort of the gospel to others. And there are people, because of their experience, they're going to have access to layers of communities uh, and cultures that we will never have access to. That's right. And we, we, we just can't go there. Yeah. We're not allowed to by, by multiple reasons, uh, for multiple reasons, but we can, we can say, hey, this is what you should do. Yeah. Go so. back and, and, and bring, bring the gospel there. Yeah. Because it, it gives us that identity. It gives us that significance, that belonging, and that purpose. Yeah. Uh, and that meaning of life can be summarized into that. And we're slowly bringing in that utopia, for lack of a better word. Um, it's an already and a not yet. The kingdom of Christ, Christ is that. already coming. Yeah. It's already here simply yeah. because Christians are talking, because Christians are living, and our God is... And because Christ reigns. And because Christ reigns. And I love Abraham Kuyper's uh, statement on this, right? Um, we are not somehow, you know, building our own little kingdom here, and then the kingdom somewhere out there is is fighting against us or anything like that. No, no, no. There, it's not like that. He says there's not a single square inch in all of the universe that does not scream that it is Christ. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but if if you take the concept of you know you've got billions of galaxies. And then within those galaxies are billions of planets and stars. And out of all of those billions and billions and billions, you, you zoom in slowly, slowly, slowly. All of the heavens, all of those galaxies declare His glory. They obey His every commandment. And there, are, there is one little planet in one little galaxy. <laughs> and on some of those patches of that planet, there's a few creatures, few little <laughs> ant-like creatures who dare to disobey the creator God. And so if you ask yourself question you ask your ask yourself the question, is there more evil in all of the created world or is there more good and obedience? The answer is simple. There's more good. There is more obedience than disobedience. Hmm. There the, yeah. his his kingdom is here. It's all over. Yeah. There's a few patches on earth. Yeah. And a few hearts on earth where there isn't there is no reigning of Christ yet. Hmm. And we go in, that little small fragment, D-Day has come, right? <laughs> we have won. Yes. Most of the, the universe has already been conquered by Christ. We go out, 
knowing that the war has been won and we fight with with courage and with hope and saying we've already won let's, let's keep fighting let's keep going yeah the last thing i'll say before i open up for closing comments from you guys is uh, is yeah um when we do when we divorce ourselves from from God and His Word, we lose the the who, what, where, when, and why, and the how. Mm-hmm. You, you lose it all, and, and and basically you start making your own way, and it ends up being, we'll make our own kingdom and we'll do it with force, and that's that's what that's what Karl Marx did. That's yeah. what later on Hitler did and Stalin did, and that's where Bernie Sanders doing. Well, that's where that the the abandonment of the gospel yeah. and the divorcing from from God's word leads to uh, very uh, abusive power, tyrannical behavior, mm-hmm. and, and a human a human made utopia, which is really just uh, uh, dystopia. It's really hell on earth, mm-hmm. not not heaven on earth. So uh, that's why we got to be careful when we ask the government to bring about social justice. So uh, so there. So with that, I'll open up to you, Dylan, and then uh, we'll close with you, Pavel. Thoughts, Dylan? Final thoughts? Sure. <clears throat> um. I remember th- there's a story that comes to mind when I was a when I was a student at, at Penn State. Um, there was a another student who uh, I would have considered this person a friend, and they shared an experience that they had um, when they went to a store, and I think this person was going to be a, a uh, participating in a wedding for a friend or something mm-hmm. like that. So they're looking for wedding stuff <laughs> you can tell how much a help i was when planning You're my so own wedding. Well versed i'm so well versed in wedding stuff <laughs> um so so this person went to the store and they were looking for a cake topper and they saw two different cake toppers uh that were available to choose one had uh, a uh, a black couple on it and it just said black uh like the, in the labeling right mm. and then one was a white couple on it and it said traditional um, hmm. that's interesting, right? So, so I think one of the things we don't want to lose sight of is, so here's, you always want to like, here's the danger in these kinds of conversations, right? Is you say one thing and then it gets extrapolated because, you know, it's, this is one of those topics where you, you almost don't want to say too much without having a whole lot of space to lay out a whole lot of pieces because I, you know, you want to address whatever is the the danger in your current moment, right? And there's, and what the danger is depends. You, you may have, you know, uh, outside of the church or even within the church, certain wings of, of evangelicalism where the danger is swinging too far towards um, uh, not very careful embrace of, of critical race theory and intersectionality and, and some of these um, notions of systemic power and privilege that come with it and get bound up with race. There's kind of this full-orbed embrace of it, and there's no real, there's no real questioning it. Well, there, there's a particular danger that that we've kind of been speaking to throughout this episode. There's another danger though, where it's just kind of this full-fledged um, throwing of the baby out with the bathwater, where it's just kind of like the whole thing is 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 top to bottom, you know, condemn it to the pit, and there's there's no truth in it to be said at all whatsoever, and so. So I'm going to assume for a minute that latter piece, right, that let's assume for a minute the danger is we want to condemn the whole thing forthwith uh, to the pit. All right. So that's what I'm speaking to now. So now the question is, in what sense is there some uh, truth to this, some legitimacy to this? And one of the things that I, that I think it is important for us to consider is um, when we talk about uh, power, 
because power is an important thing to, to talk about. You can't reduce everything to questions of power, but it is an important thing to, to poke at. Um, when we talk about power and we talk about how power gets um, uh, enjoyed uh, or distributed along racial lines, in my mind, much of what that boils down to is this notion of um, what, what constitutes normal, what constitutes traditional, right? And a lot of that, um, you know, when me being a, a white guy, right? You know, by what? and large, I know shock, <laughs> but you know, by and large, um, I'm I'm often in in here. We are in Bucks County. I'm often in the presence of people who are my race. You know, and 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 you know, I, I generally, you know, I turn on the TV, and and by and large, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm gonna, you know, my race is is represented, or or if I look in our history books, you know, do I have to worry about it? You know, so generally, no, right? And now, y you could attribute that to majority privilege. You say, well, you know, the majority of people in the community are are, are white, and and therefore that's why we see these things represented in in the ways that we do. Um, and and I don't know that that's a full orbed explanation, right? There, there's there's some there's some lack in that explanation that I find, but I think you know it is important to recognize I think that there are there are as I as I said before there are these axioms of identity there are thousands of them right and and one of them is what we call race uh, what we by which really honestly by which what i mean is just the color of a person's skin yeah right and now that concept of race and i guess this would be useful as a as a parting thought as well and interestingly this is one thing about which i think many who are who kind of fall on the side of the conversation that we've been kind of talking through today which is like look there's some danger in this stuff and and ultimately find your identity in christ not in you right so on that side of the of the fence, you know, people uh, Christians will often point to the fact that look, race is a is is not a helpful, not a biblical concept to begin with. Yeah. Well, that's actually a point of agreement with with a lot who are who are on you know other sides of this issue, uh, who who likewise will say, look, the notion of race was in in one sense a a non biblical concept contrived to justify racism. Mm -hmm. Right. So now what is a biblical concept is the notion of eth ethnicity. Right. And we've mm -hmm. talked yeah. through some of those drives. Uh, yeah. Tribes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Different nations. Yeah. And we've talked through some of those things today. Um, but but by and large, the way that we have um, unfolded historically in society has led to uh, certain um, shared certain characteristics and people who have certain characteristics, whether that be. Um, attractive, you know, we've been talking about race, you know, attractiveness, and intelligence, uh, wealth, uh, temperament, you know, all kinds of different characteristics. And, and some of these enjoy certain advantages socially. Um, so I just think that that's, that's something to be mindful of, right? You just think about the courage that it would take a, bl a black family to come into a predominantly white church and worship there, right? Set aside the fact that you know, in, you know whether they're believers or not, and you know in the in Christ we're all one, right? It still takes courage. Why does it take courage? Because people don't look like me, right? So I think that's just something to be mindful of and be be sensitive to, and yes, to to gently to encourage towards the 
the, the truth of union in Christ in a new covenant community where that new identity transcends some of those boundaries, where some of that discomfort gets mitigated over time. But nevertheless, that kind of introductory um, uh, of notice of difference mm-hmm. um, is, is something to be mindful of and, and just something that we, we don't want to necessarily lose sight of in, in these conversations. Um, that yeah. being said, there are lots of dangers that we've been talking about in ties to critical theory, critical race theory as an ideology uh, that that full stop needs to be rejected because it is anti-biblical. And some of the ties there to Marxism, there are ties to Marxism. I know that that's I know that the, there's there's a lot of discussion around whether or not it's legitimate to use the term, the, the phrase cultural Marxism, because it's such a loaded term. You know, it's like it's just, you know, accusations get thrown around. Well, you're a racist. Well, you're a Marxist. And it's just, <laughs> you get nowhere. Right. Like yeah. so. So there's some danger there. On the other hand, it is it is a useful category. I think, you know, one um, we can recommend some resources, but one article that I would commend to readers just on the relationship between theory, as we've been talking about, and cultural Marxism is a, uh, an article by a chap named Alan Mendenhall. Uh, in, um, he, he wrote for the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal, and he really kind of ties some of these th- historical, academic, and linguistic threads together about how some of these ideas born out of theory tie back, trace back to uh, some of the some of the work. So anyway, I think that that's there's some legitimate overlap to be wary of in that. And I think, you know, to, I think oftentimes those concerns get dismissed as a boogeyman. We, you know, you, you, there, there's no real specter of Marx haunting these conversations. And, you know, you don't have to. It's just a boogeyman. You're just throwing that out there to keep people from being interested in exercising justice, biblical justice, where you go and you you take up the cause for the oppressed and you take up the cause for the, the widow. Right. Uh, and you're just not interested in doing that. You're more interested in fighting this boogeyman called called cultural Marxism. So so. Um, w- there's danger on both sides, I guess, is what I would want to leave with right that there's danger on the one side of um of of embracing certain uh, of of having tools even if they're purely analytical tools that are parasitic on a worldview that's anti-biblical so there's danger there there's also danger in um in not perhaps recognizing uh some of the different advantages that come with being a a part of a particular group and how those advantages work themselves out in society and also likewise um some some dangers in like interpersonal i I would say the best way to overcome this (laughs) honestly go have dinner with somebody who's different from you Mm -hmm. go have dinner just invite them out to dinner invite them out to lunch say let's just get to know each other right because like it is i cannot stress enough the importance especially in the church of christ to be building these relationships with 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 as over as many of these layers of difference as you possibly can uh, to 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 begin to overcome some of that. Um, so there's danger on both sides, and go have dinner with somebody who who thinks differently than you do, who looks differently than you do, who speaks differently than you do. It will be an enriching exercise for the for your soul and for the church. Um, so I think that's where I would. Okay. Leave it. No, fair enough. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's yeah. very helpful. Pavel, final thoughts before we close out? Yeah, I wanna I wanna end with a quote from Gerhardus Voss. Um, 
uh, he's he's one of one of my favorite. And when you think about this concept of Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Um, and this is this is the great commandment, right, for us to go and spread the kingdom. And I love how he says uh, what that means. What the, what does that look like? Voss says the kingdom comes when the gospel is spread, when hearts are changed, when sin and error overcome, righteousness cultivated, and a living communion with God is established. Uh, so may we be more like Job, uh, be more like Christ ultimately to, to seek the kingdom, to, to bring the kingdom, to spread the gospel, uh, to seek hearts, you know, just as Dylan said, invite people over, get to know their hearts, to understand and appreciate them uh, with all of their diversity, with all of their difference, uh, and celebrate that in, in a way of appreciation, and seek that sin and error would be sin and error in, in general would be overcome. Pray for justice. Pray for Christ's kingdom to come, uh, and to overthrow the injustice and wickedness that we see all around us. Pray for righteousness to be cultivated, not only in your own heart and in your own relationships between people and your family, but righteousness would be cultivated in your community, in your neighborhood, in your nation, and in the world, ultimately. And that living communion with God would be established, that there would be a communion bond um, restored like it was in the Garden of Eden. And thankfully, we have a mediator to do that for us, uh, Christ, and He's given us a spirit. There is much hope for us, much yeah. hope. And, and communion will be established, but we pray that that would be quick, that that would be soon. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. thank you for that as well, Pavel. And uh, yeah, th thank you for joining us on the show today My as pleasure. our special guest. We definitely want to have you on some other time on any many other topics. I mean, you're the you know director of the youth ministry, so I'm sure you get a lot of... Uh, uh, very relevant, very important topics uh, that are that uh, not just our young people need to hear, but parents, older folks as well, mm -hmm. always need to hear, right? So, for those of you listening, I hope that this uh, conversation was was helpful, was a blessing. Uh, I hope that we, we we modeled how to have this conversation and bring all things in subject to Christ and His Word. Um, we know this is not the end of the conversation. So if you have any follow-on questions, either for myself and Dylan or, or for Pavel, don't hesitate to email us at twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com. That's the number two, guysinabible.podcast at gmail.com. And if you go to our website, which is twoguysinabible.org, uh, that's number two, guysinabible.org, you can uh, submit questions there. You can uh, support us. We are a listener-supported podcast, and we find, uh, we, you know, we always need uh, support and, and your assistance because uh, we can't do it without you. Uh, that's what we're here for. We're here to serve uh, God's people uh, as much as we are able to do so for His glory and His honor. So, uh, again, we thank you all for listening, and uh, until next time, God bless. God bless. God bless.